brought your copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to turn it to Acts chapter 6. We are going to spend a little time in the Word uh, before we proceed. This is a a big moment for the candidates. It's a big moment for uh, their families. But we should not miss, um, miss the opportunity to recognize that, uh, that this is a big moment for the church. In the Old Testament, we have three ordained offices. Uh, in the Old Testament of the Bible, three ordained offices. We have the prophet, the priest, and the king. We know that Jesus Christ came and he satisfied each of the need of the human uh, experience and person by becoming prophet, priest, and king to our souls. But there are two ordained offices in the New Testament, two ordained offices that the Lord gave for the benefit of the church. The pastors, bishop, elder, as they're referred to in the scripture, and the deacon. And we should not miss understanding and giving, uh, giving attention to the fact that we are ordaining one of the two ordained offices of the New Testament church. The Lord could have set up any model he wanted. It's his church. He bought it with his blood. He could have set up and organized and and, uh, formulated the church in any way, but he chose two offices. And I'll tell you, being ordained as a pastor and then being called to serve as a church, the gravity of that moment was extraordinary. I mean, the, the weight of knowing that you are the spiritual under-shepherd to a body of believers and they're trusting in you, uh, it's, it's a heavy thing. And deacons, make no mistake about it, that you also hold one of the elected offices of the church. One of only two. And this is a major moment. Uh, it's a major moment for the candidates, for their families, but entire church, it's a major moment for all of us. Um, in the text of Acts chapter 6, this is where we come across uh, the, the formulation of the deacon. And the formulation of the deacon is one that has uh, been taught, and it is fitting that we teach it again. Because the deacons, they do so much within the church. Um, if you were just a passerby and you slipped in tonight, you may think that our deacon body uh, serves as a sor- uh, sort of form of mafia, because uh, they're all sitting up here. Um, They're either the mafia or the pallbearers, and I don't know who they're carrying it out, but it ain't going to be me. Um, Not tonight. Uh, But they serve in so many ways and so many capacities, and we might ask, well, again, what are their roles? Uh, Brother Paul just mentioned the the foundational definition of a deacon, and I just want to share with you, I want to boil it down to the most concentrated way I know how, because I think that sometimes our confusion comes with the, with the multiplicity of words. So let's just boil it down to what a deacon is in the simplest way that it can possibly be stated from the Bible. And a deacon is very simply this. A deacon is a peacemaker united in serving. A deacon is a peacemaker United in serving. When we read this text, and we're going to read it in just a moment, I'm going to explain to you, I believe that when we boil it down, when we take out all of the extras, when we pull away the, uh, the pomp and circumstance of, of these nights, when we take away the, 
um, the routine, necessary, but oftentimes overbearing meetings, when we take away the minutes and the procedures, when we take away the responsibilities, when we take away uh, the popularity or the publicity or the pressures, the responsibility, when we take away the demands, when we take away all that is sometimes attached to being a deacon, and we go back to what God says a deacon is, I believe when we boil it down to its most concentrated form, we understand that a deacon is a peacemaker united in serving. Let's read God's word and then I'd like to show you exactly how it is that this is the most concentrated definition for a deacon. Now in these days, Acts chapter 6, now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because uh, their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Holy Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith of the Holy Spirit, Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor, and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of priests became obedient to the faith. First, in this three-part identity of a deacon, we understand that they are to be peacemakers. You men, you men are to be peacemakers. Now, let me just make a quick statement, if I could. This message is a charge to the deacons and to the church. All right? I'm so glad, church, that you came here to observe what's happening, but you're not off the hook that easy. This is a message to you as much as it is to these men. The deacons are to be peacemakers. Let me just, let me just, let me toss the formalities. The Christian is to be a peacemaker. A peacemaker. In the text that we look at, you have this church that is budding, it is blowing up, it is exploding with growth. You have about 120 people in the beginning of Acts that are uh, the disciples that haven't... Uh, haven't run out on Jesus, that aren't ashamed of Christ. You have about 120 who are coming together for prayer. The scripture says that they had all gathered together in one accord and they are praying together and the Holy Spirit falls on them in Acts chapter 2. Peter stands up. He stands up, the scripture says, to preach the first message under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in history. And it says the other 11 stand with him, which is a major word, standing together. There is unity in prayer, there is unity in preaching, there is unity in mission. He preaches the gospel and 3,000 men, the scripture says, come to faith. 3,000 men come to faith. That doesn't tell us how many women, but what we do know is the church was exploding with growth. They continue to share the gospel. They're discipling people. And more folks are coming to Christ um, every single day. The church is growing by the thousands. And during this time, they are seeking to continue to preach the truth, to disciple those that are coming to faith, and to meet the needs of those that were within the body. And we see, coming into Acts chapter 6, we see that there's a problem. There is a problem that has 
has come to the surface within the local church. What's the problem? Well, you have the Hellenists who are complaining that their widows are being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So what might be happening? Well, the widows would not be able to care for themselves. And so the church, as a family and as a community, has taken it upon themselves to take care of the widows who don't have a family. And you have two groups that are identified in this text. You have the Hebrew Jews and the Hellenistic Jews. What's the difference? Uh, At the most basic level, the Hebrew Jews were Jews who grew up with the Hebrew customs. They would have spoken the Hebrew language. They would have practiced the Hebrew customs and manners. And they would have abided to the historical law as is presented in the beginning of the New Testament. On the other hand, you have the Hellenists. Who are the Hellenists? The Hellenists are Greek-speaking and Greek-custom Jews. These are Jews that grew up under the customs, the teachings, and within the mannerisms of the Greek contemporary society. And there was some rivalry and some pulling between those. And the Hebrews within the church were serving their widows, but they were neglecting to take care of the Greek-speaking Jewish widows. And so they start complaining. They start complaining, and there is a problem that needs to be dealt with. And the apostles say, well, we know how to deal with this problem. But we can't deal with this problem unless we neglect what is our primary calling, which is to pray and to preach. And so they say, let's, let's just, let's get some guys together. And what is the purpose of getting the guys together? To bring peace where there is a problem. First and foremost, it is to bring peace to where there is a problem. Why? Because discord within the church will lead to dysfunction within the mission. And there are lost and dying people in the ancient Near East that needed to be reached with the gospel. And there were new reached baby Christians who need to be raised up in the admonition of the Lord and taught what it means to follow Christ. But as long as there is discord within the church, the mission will founder and it will flounder and it will eventually erode away. Therefore, we must bring peace. Deacons were established first and foremost to be peacemakers. And the question that we must ask, whether you're presently a deacon, being ordained as a deacon, or a church member, is this. Are you considered, not by your own judgment, but by the judgment of those that are nearest to you, are you considered to be a peacemaker or a problem maker? We would all like to think we're bringing peace or we're out doing the Lord's work. But would those that are nearest to you, who are godly, who are in the word, who are wise and discerning, would they look at your life, at your conversations, at your prolification of gossip, or either your denial of gossip, and say, this person, I can say without a shadow of a doubt, they are a peacemaker. And I'll tell you, there's only two options. You are either making peace everywhere you go, or you are making problems where you go. Maybe it's not such a bad idea that we have a group of guys that look like the mafia. Your role is to be a peacemaker. And church, your calling is also to be peacemakers. Peacemakers who are united. Now, it's important that we understand that these men weren't called in individually and then sent out individually. They were called in so that they could then go out together to accomplish the task that was at hand. And we see that there are seven men that were selected. 
And these seven men were selected based on certain criteria, and then they were sent out to accomplish the mission. What was the mission? The mission was practically to meet the needs of the Hellenistic widows so that the church could resume a place of peace, unity, and forward momentum. They were united in the common cause. They were united in a common direction. And this is sometimes what we have to hold on to within the church, within the deacon body, is we have to hold on to the fact that we may not all be called to the same task, but we are all called to the same direction. Sometimes pastoring, um, sometimes pastoring can, be, uh, can be equivalent to, uh, to trying to herd a flock of cats. I don't know if a flock is the right terminology for a group of cats. Maybe it's a herd, but it doesn't really matter because it's an impossible task. And sometimes what you have to do is not to just keep them all together, but to keep them moving in the same direction. You know, and, and within the life of the church, we all will have different priorities, we'll all have different callings, we'll all have different tasks. Like r- right now, we have folks that are responsible for preparing for the pumpkin patch and they are serving within their inv- individual capacities. We have other people that are preparing for the global um, outreach celebration that's coming in a few weeks and they're responsible for their individual responsibilities and areas. Um, but we are all to be moving in the same direction. We can be doing our individual jobs as long as we're moving in the same direction. I don't know if anybody ever read the book, The Three Musketeers, but most of us have seen a movie. But they had the saying, all for one and one for all. Do y'all remember that? And what that old uh, quipping means is that we should all be together and together we should all be for each other. It's been said in in kind of Christian cliched circles that it's all for the one because the one was for all. And that's our mission. That's our unity. We are all together because we want to point people towards Jesus Christ. And we want to lead this body that the Lord has given us. We want to lead them towards the cross of Calvary. And then we want to lead them back to the place where Jesus Christ is going to return. These men, they were united in serving so that the peace of the body could be preserved, so that the mission of the church that had been given to us by Jesus Christ could be brought back up to the service and we wouldn't be distracted by the division that was brought about by the neglect of the Hellenistic Jews. They were united in the common cause, moving in the same direction, and our common cause is Jesus Christ reaching the lost with the gospel of Jesus Christ and then raising up the saved with the same gospel of Jesus Christ. And we must be united in that. We must be united in that. Among the deacon body, whatever it takes so that the ministers can continue preaching the word and praying the church forward, so that the church can continue doing whatever it takes to reach this community, to reach this city, to reach this region with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we might ask, why should we put so much energy and attention into the unity of the church? Two primary reasons. Number one, because the blood of Jesus Christ bought this church, and it was evidently so important to the Father that he was willing to give up his one and only begotten son, therefore it should be important to us to keep it together. And number two, because there is an entire community of lost and dying people going to hell, and we are God's plan A for reaching them. And he didn't give a plan B. And if we're not together in the mission, then who is going to reach those people? 
And I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for a church being together on the mission back in October of 2004, no one would have reached me. And if it wasn't for a church that was together on mission, not worried about the extra stuff, but remaining united, moving in the same direction, no one in this room that's been reached by because God gave the church to reach the nations. And we are the We must remain united, moving in the same direction, even if we have individual separate responsibilities. Peacemakers who are united. Here's the third part of the identity that are serving. Primary function of the deacon is to serve. As a matter of fact, the very definition of the word picture of back and forth with such speed and frequency that they stir up dust as they're moving. The definition of what a deacon is is the most vulnerable and often overlooked people. It is by nature the least glamorous position within the church. And any time that we believe that the deacon should be elevated to the most glamorous position in the church, we forfeit the beauty of what the deacon is, which is a follower in the way of Jesus Christ, which is a willingness to serve the least of those even among our congregation. H.B. Charles, who is a Southern Baptist pastor, he talks about the offices of pastor and deacon, and he says this. He says that the pastor serves the church by leading, and the deacons lead the church by serving. Let me say that again. Pastors, we serve the church by leading, and deacons lead the church by serving. And before we look at it and say, well, the pastors have the more elevated position and the deacons have a, a, a more inferior position, let me just say what Jesus has said time and time and time again, that the last will be first and the first will be last. And it is not about how high you can rise, but it is about how low you can go to serve the people. And it is in the lowness of serving people that we meet with and experience Jesus' presence in a way that we never have before. It's been quipped by a missiologist that if we want to meet with Jesus, we should go to where Jesus is. And Jesus is always going to the places where he can serve the people. And deacons, you have the opportunity because it is your calling and it has been entrusted to you and to you directly to serve in the least glamorous places, the people who are often overlooked and vulnerable. But don't feel bad about yourself because you get to go exactly where Jesus is. And you have an opportunity to experience Christ in a way that some of us will miss because some of us aren't given the opportunity or afforded the responsibility of being in those places. Deacon. A deacon is, when we boil it down, when we concentrate it down to its, its most uh, concentrated level, a deacon is a peacemaker who is united in serving. And this is the charge, not just to the candidates, but to the entire church. We want to have an invitation. And let me tell you why I would like for us to have an invitation this, this evening. Because Jesus Christ is using every opportunity where the word is preached to invite people back to himself. 
And I believe that tonight we have the opportunity, knowing that Jesus Christ is the peacemaker. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 says, And through him he reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus is the peacemaker. And people are being called tonight because Jesus is the peacemaker. But but they're being called tonight because Jesus is united with the Father in drawing people to himself. In John chapter 10 verse 30, the scripture tells us, uh, Jesus says directly, I and the Father are one. Jesus is united with the Father in the mission to reach the lost. And Jesus is serving. He, He is... A peacemaker and he is united with the Father and he's serving us, ministering to us even in this very moment. The scripture says that he is at the right hand of the Father at this very moment, interceding for us, praying to the Father for us. Which means that if you're in this room and you're struggling with anything in your life, whether it be with lostness or addiction or habits or or perhaps you're just simply down and out, Jesus, the King of Kings, The Prince of Peace, the Lord of Lords, is at the right hand of the Father pleading on your behalf. And why is he pleading on your behalf? He's pleading on your behalf that you would maintain a posture of repentance. That you would continue looking towards him and you would give your life ever more towards him. And if you never have, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, if you are living in sin, living in rebellion to him, if you are creating problems everywhere in your life, Jesus says, come to me and I will change you. I will transform you. I will save you from that and I will put you on the path of rightness. And so how could we preach such truth? How could we deliver such truth without inviting people to do what Jesus always invited people to do and that is to come to him? And to receive the gift that he is. And so I would like to extend that invitation. I would like to extend the invitation for you to receive Jesus as your Savior. And if you've already received Jesus, but you've chosen for whatever reason to stop living for him, I want to invite you tonight, in this very moment, I want to invite you to make the decision, I'm going to turn my life back to him again. You know what I love about church and what I love about preaching the word is that it never returns void and God is doing something right now. He's doing something in your heart and it's by no mistake, it's by no accident and it's certainly not a coincidence but he is an intentional God God that draws people to him. Now would you respond? Would you respond as he's leading I'm going to invite those that are going to lead us in the invitation to come forward. And while they're coming forward, would you stand where you are? I want to say a word of prayer. And at the close of the prayer, I'm going to be down front. I'm going to invite Bob to be standing at this aisle. Patrick, I'm going to invite you to stand over there if you would. And if we can pray with you, whether you need to receive Jesus Christ or you want to join the church or if you want to be baptized or maybe you just... Maybe you just need somebody to hug your neck and pray for you. I can think of no better time than right now. And if you are just here to watch the ordination, you're invited to come. If you're a family member for one of the candidates, you're invited to come. If you've graduated to one of these seats, you're invited to come. 
wherever you are, however God's working on you, I want to lead you to respond and invite you to respond to the Lord. Would you join me in prayer? At the close of this prayer, the invitation will be open. Would you step out and come? Lord, we thank you for the night that we have to come together. Lord, we thank you that you've given us, um, God, you've given us your word. You've established and ordered, Lord, this office of deacon so that we can understand how you want the church to function and to move forward. And we thank you, God, for that example. We thank you, God, for these men who have for years, Lord, maintained that example and continue to lead the, lead the church forward. But right now, God, before we do anything else, we need to do business with you. We need to make sure that we're right with you. So if there is one who is dealing with anything that would lead them under your conviction to respond, God, give them the faith and the courage to obey. To obey and to surrender all. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.